I have a question for you. What are the two guarantees in life? Death and taxes. Death and taxes. I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we could come up with a lot, but death and taxes is the the aphorism. Two, wow. The two guarantees are death and taxes. And um, it's true. It's also true that we dislike both of these things. We'd rather not pay taxes. We'd rather not die. We'd rather not think about taxes. And we'd rather not think about death. <clears throat> but then the tax man comes every year, and uh, we have to think about taxes. There are many who are thinking about taxes right now, as it's tax season. But there are not many thinking about death. Our culture has this weird relationship with death. We're obsessed with death and also afraid of death. The culture obsesses over death in a macabre way, with its fascination of horror films and its celebration and indulgence in Halloween. About half the culture considers the murder of their children to be part of their religion, where they sacrifice at their planned parenthood temples. We are also distanced from death in that we're a less agricultural society, so we aren't as familiar with the death that takes place for much of our food even. Our wicked rulers have given us uh, panic and hysteria over relatively mild illnesses, illnesses which have paled in comparison to what our ancestors have experienced in the Middle Ages with epidemics like the Pla uh, Black Plague, where sometimes 50% of populations would die. So death for our medieval forefathers was something of a daily scene, something that was very real. They were surrounded by it much more than we are. Uh, and for most of human history, bringing life into the world um, has been more fatal to mothers than it is now. Um, that's another aspect of death that we don't actually deal with as much now, which is certainly a blessing, but it diminishes our cognizance of death. Sometimes children wouldn't even be able to get past childhood. Many children would die in infancy or, or as small children and wouldn't even attain adulthood. And that's also uh, more rare. So death has kind of become diminished in our mind in those aspects. And then we live in a culture that worships youth and it dishonors age. Both the elderly and the young have particular kinds of glory, but our culture makes an idol out of youthfulness. And this God reveals its hideousness in the faces of religious zealots like Madonna and others who literally cut themselves for the God of youthfulness. And this God of youth cannot give them what they want because death is coming for them and time is the road that it travels. The ancients believed it was healthy to reflect on death, that it was good that it was something that could cultivate virtue to, to uh, meditate on our own mortality. Roman generals, upon returning in kind of victorious parade uh, after their conquest, would have a servant or a slave behind them that would whisper in their ear that they would die one day. Being reminded of your mortality helps to put things into focus, 
to smooth out your walk, to soberly embrace and understand our own mortality can be like receiving right prescription lenses if we can't see correctly, or maybe finally stop and sit down on that bench and take your shoe off and dump out that pebble that was poking your foot. That's what reflect, and then you put that on, you can walk better, and, and you, can, you can think about what you're doing uh, more clearly. Ecclesiastes, we might say, is Solomon's reflection on death, his memento mori. He sees that it's better to be wise than to be a fool, but both the wise and the fool end up pushing daisies. So what's the point? Surely it's better to be a man than an animal, but they also finally end up six feet under, so nothing matters. All of your wisdom, skill, and knowledge is going to sink into the ground, and then all of the accomplishments of your children are going to fade into the dirt, and their children won't even remember you, and soon nobody will know anything about you or what you did. Nothing matters. All go to one place, all are from dust, and all return to dust. And so life under the sun is just inevitable death and vanity, but it's not. Because life is not merely under the sun. There's a God over the sun who transcends the sun. And it is by him that the sun even exists. And it is by him that our lives have meaning and purpose. So Solomon concludes when all is said and done that we are to fear God and to keep his commandments. But isn't the reason we encounter death that death is haunting us? Because we didn't keep his commandments. Aren't we right back where we started? Yes, the wages of sin is death. And we are all going to be given what we are owed, which is to die. All of us will die because of our inherited sin nature and because of our actual committed sin. But the gift of God is eternal life. The death of Christ was the death of death for all who believe in him. And so we don't despair or give vanity the final say, but rather reflecting on your mortality, knowing that you will be standing before the Lord very soon after you die, you are jolted into an eternal perspective for your temporal life, for your life under the sun. Standing before the Lord with your seashell collection seems an absurdity to the highest degree. And you are catapulted into making every moment of your life count and matter and given to the king and his kingdom. For us, death is a prophet telling us that judgment is coming and we need to get right with the Lord. We need to repent. We need to not waste our life on frivolous trivialities. We need to live for him the one who created us for himself. We need to dedicate everything we do in life to him before we evaporate into a cloud of dust. We are only here for a breath and then judgment. So make sure you're not wasting your life. Let us now call to mind our sin and the infinite mercy of God.